The next few weeks, we're going to talk about the theme of worship. Um, and I would say over those weeks, uh, there may be a few interruptions. I, I think the biggest question that I invite us to ask ourselves as children of God is to think deeply and intentionally about who we worship and what we worship and how do we know if our worship is genuine? What is it, what does true worship look like to God? I found a little interview on uh, the internet. Uh, it's a situation, as we often have seen, where someone goes out into the, the sidewalks, the streets. I'm not sure what... Uh, place this is, but it certainly could be Nashville, Tennessee, but I don't know. And somebody was just asking people a question about worship. So I invite you just to look at that. Hello again, everyone. I'm Tyler, and today we're hitting the streets again, no hidden mics this time, to talk to anyone and everyone about what their idea of worship is. What do you think of when you hear the word worship? Well, Christ. Like, first thing that comes to your mind? I thought of the word pray, first thing. I thought of God. I thought of anxiety. <laughs> Confusing. I automatically think of religion. I automatically think of something you value and hold really close to you. You're worshiping. I think of God. I think of like along those bases, like people that worship God, people that worship the devil. Like, you know. It's love. Worship is love to me. It's cool. It's nice to see. It's like it's like seeing a phone booth. You're like, it's cool they still have those, but probably won't be around for too much longer. I think of praising God and just giving thanks to to Jesus. Worship? No, you're asking the right guy. Marilyn Manson. <laughs> Goth music, I don't know. <laughs> Worship, no matter what it is, whether it's a, a, a superhuman being or a um, person, like my wife, I worship her, I worship my daughters. If the word worship means love, and that's what it's supposed to mean. I spend a lot of time caring about my daughters and my wife. How would I define the word worship? Someone who maybe idolizes someone in, uh, in a very high esteem. Praying towards something that you think you want to be true. I think um, they're just expressing what's in their heart. Uh, some sort of religious ceremony or some sort of person talking about stuff. I think I'm singing too. I get singing and I got a couple of I got some people. Maybe I got some people up mind. here. And that's about it. Um, for me, as a Christian, uh, child of God, when I go to worship at the church I attend, I go to praise and honor uh, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. When I was younger, um, 
I didn't understand some things, and it was almost like I was going there to be fed, even though I still get fed. But my number one purpose when I go to, to church is to praise and honor Jesus Christ for what he did for me. Uh, first time I kind of listened to that uh, clip, it, it amazes me how quickly, I'll, I'll just say I, I make judgments about people on externals. I don't like to say that, but the first time I watched that clip, the first time they showed the fellow who was obviously dressed to me like an Elvis impersonator, I thought, okay, this guy's going to be off. And the first time I saw the young man with the clean-cut man with the black shirt, I thought, this, this clean-cut guy will be full-on. This is what worship means. And I was completely wrong. And it, to me, it's almost a reminder of a little bit about what God, and we'll talk about this a bit later, um, how easy it is for us to, even when we consider things like worship, to think about things that are rather, I'm going to say superficial, things on the surface, when actually I believe to consider what worship means is actually pretty deep and very significant. The theme of worship, I would say, is woven throughout the entire Bible. New Testament, Old Testament. In fact, I believe you could say it is one, if not the big question that the Bible asks us. Who or what do you bow down to? Who or what do you serve? And I think most people outside of faith communities, most people outside of a church setting, probably spend little to no time at all thinking about this word, about its meaning, or its relevance to their lives. To them, questions about worship would likely be met with somewhat puzzled responses. And we saw some of those puzzled responses on that interview. They might say, you know what, I'm not a religious person, so you're actually asking the wrong person. And so worship, the word, the conversation, tends to become something that is relegated to those as one fellow says, sort of within the context of a religious, a spiritual awareness. For those who say God is not only real, God is not only relevant, but God is actually central to how we seek to live out our lives. And yet it's interesting, even in the church, conversations about worship are generally... Narrow in scope and somewhat shallow in terms of depth. 
So they're usually limited to opinions about style of music. Song choices, the length of the worship set, where the volume was, things that are actually little more than expressions of personal preference. Having said that, I do believe that discussions related to worship within the context of the church gathered are important because it is always a bit of a delicate dance. It's a challenging task of whoever is leading worship within a church to try to please most of the people most of the time. And it's interesting, it wasn't that long ago when uh, we had some people over, we were around a table, and I'm not sure it wasn't specifically a conversation about worship, but someone around the table, uh, we had mentioned a song, and someone said, you know, I can't stand that song. And someone else at the same table said, you know what, that song helped me through my battle with cancer. And so when we talk about worship within the context of songs and what we sing, I think we need to extend a lot of grace. And, and hopefully we will please many people most of the time. But if worship conversations are limited to music, we will inevitably miss what worship is all about. Both the Old and New Testaments warn against outward, superficial expressions of worship. And there are times where I have been having conversations with people, not specifically here at Creekside, but people outside will say, well, that was a worshiping church, or that worship was awesome. And it generally had to do with something external, some visible expression of something that people said, okay, those people are worshiping. But in the Bible, worship is never a conversation about music or style of music. The Bible says that we should sing together as people of God, but when the Bible discusses music, I mean worship, it is not discussing music. It is always an examination of our heart before God. And so I would say that worship in the context of the Bible is about our priorities and our lifestyle. It's not about music style. It is about lifestyle. I'm going to just read a couple verses from the Old Testament. It's from Amos chapter 5. It's a, it's a pretty condemning chapter where people on the outside are doing what you might expect them to do within a religious setting, but that it has nothing to do with their heart or how they live. And it says this, I hate, that's a strong word, I hate all your show and pretense the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assembly, away with your noisy hymns of praise, 
I will not listen to the music of your, and I think in the Bible it probably says stringed instruments or something like that, and you can fill in whatever instrument you want. So it's a condemnation of, in that sense, people of God for whom their heart for God did really not mean anything, but who still went through what you might say are the outward expressions of worship. In Matthew, and there are a lot of these conversations that Jesus had with religious people, he said, for you are like whitewashed tombs. He's talking specifically to the Pharisees. You are beautiful on the outside. But you are filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like religious or righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's kind of like, you know, when you're trying to make something look a bit better and you say, well, you know what, we could just slap a coat of paint on it, dress it up a bit, and hopefully people won't look any deeper. Sometimes people do that just before they sell houses. We can fool people. I think at times we can even fool ourselves. We can convince ourselves. The reality is we will never fool God. God sees into our very hearts. So outwards expressions of worship, I would say, are only fragrant. Outward expressions of worship are only pleasing in the sight of God if they come from a heart that acknowledges God as God and a heart that seeks to truly worship him. Francis Chan put it this way in a very brief clip, and he often puts things far better than I could. This section is on worship, and we, we, we use that word a lot, usually when referring to singing, which is a form of worship, because the word worship means to really bow before someone. And so when we sing, we're coming in his presence and, and lifting him up, so that is a form of worship. But worship goes way beyond that. It goes to, what do I bow to? For some of us, we really do worship ourselves because we just surrender to our feelings, our desires, our pleasures, and we go, whatever my body wants, I'm gonna go after that. Others, we worship things like popularity, and, and we just bow down to people and what they want. Um, some of us, we just wanna fit into the culture, or we worship the country, or whatever else, but what God says is, look, I wanna be your first allegiance. So worship means you surrender to me. You, you say my ways are best and you gladly come under that type of leadership. And at the core of worship, that's what it's all about. Thanks. So the questions over the next few weeks will not be like what style of music do you prefer or who is your favorite worship leader? but rather who do you worship, what do you worship, 
And perhaps uh, an even more, question, uh, more important question, do you even occasionally pause to ask yourself those kind of questions? And if you do, how do you evaluate your response? What conclusions do you come to, and how do you come to those conclusions about how you worship? To worship is a conversation that will probe our hearts, our minds, and our souls. That true worship is actually an invitation for God to reign because he already does. And he is deserving of our praise. He is deserving of our worship. He is deserving of our affections. Secular worldview, in contrast, is an invitation for man to reign. Because man, in his wisdom, is seen as our only hope. So in either case, something or someone is reigning. We are putting our faith, our trust, our hope in something or someone. So in this sense, I would say worship has a very broad application. Whether you're in the church, whether you're not in the church. I think the question of worship actually speaks to the human condition. So questions about worship are not unlike questions about the meaning of life. Like, what is life all about? Questions like that are actually questions of worship. It's interesting, the U.S. Declaration of Independence declared that people have certain unalienable rights, things that should not be taken away from them. These rights apply to all people equally, because I believe it said that the, the Declaration of Independence declared that we were created equally by our Creator. And then it highlights three rights. The pursuit of life, the pursuit of liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, obviously, there were some other rights in that document, but those three are highlighted. And I would say uh, those three pretty much encompass life. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And these unalienable rights, whether it's in a U U.S. context or even in a Canadian context, these ideals continue to motivate millions of people to flee their home country in search of exactly these things. A life that provides hope. A life that offers a true sense of liberty or freedom. And a life that holds for them and their family the potential for whatever it means to be happy. And it's interesting that I think that the founding fathers of the U.S. saw these things as rights 
that God himself desired for his creation. And I think that's actually an incredible statement if you actually view life, liberty, and happiness under the umbrella of a God who reigns over all of it. There's an article written, and I forget what the uh, magazine was, but it was uh, written by a fellow named James Jacobs who talked about the meaning of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he said this. So he's talking now within a you know, context of 2015, 16, 17. He said, it is clear that there is little agreement about the meaning of even these most basic principles. The right to life is questioned, especially for those at the beginning of life and those near the end. The idea of liberty has come to be understood as a libertine autonomy which pursues unfettered individual expression as the sole goal of life. And some would say that is a comment of 2017. Liberty means doing what you feel like doing. Pursuit of happiness is no longer seen to be the common good pursued by men and women together, but is now taken to license radical antisocial individualism. Now, whether you agree with this or the intensity of this, uh, maybe doesn't matter other than I think he is speaking truth about the world we live in. Each of these trends, he says, actually erodes society. For if we lack agreement on these basic principles, we cannot hope to attain agreement on more controversial issues. Pursuit of happiness. I, I think that is such an intriguing right. And such an elusive goal. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and we know this. In the church, people know this actually outside the church. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are no guarantee of contentment. Contentment to me is a very biblical expression about being at rest with who you are, why you're here, and who you serve. Happiness is elusive. Pursuit of happiness doesn't necessarily calm the restlessness of our lives. Yet it is perhaps the most powerful God of our culture. Overtly happy happiness is central to virtually every beer commercial. Virtually every one of those commercials paints the picture of happy. But it stands in contrast to the ordinariness of life that occupies probably 99% 
of our walk. And so happiness is so elusive, and so people attempt to be as happy as possible as often as possible. And yet the reward of happiness, I think, is almost always short-lived. The writer of Ecclesiastes I don't know when the last time it is that you have read Ecclesiastes, but I would encourage you to read it over the next month and a half. It's not a very uplifting book. It's a very frank conversation of a man who you would assume should have had happy written all over his life and only found emptiness. The writer of Ecclesiastes observed that seeking happiness, fulfillment, or meaning by pursuing things, and I'm going to use this phrase, by pursuing things under the sun, somehow left him feeling dissatisfied even though he had all those things in abundance. Unlimited access to sex. Incredible accomplishments where he could say, I built that, I made that, I designed that. Great wisdom and untold wealth. And the conclusion he comes to is that in chasing after all those things, and you might say, well, he actually seemed to have grasped all those things. He said it is vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. I can't grasp it. You would think it was in my hand, but I couldn't actually grasp it. And I think the writer of Ecclesiastes, in a very real way, talks about the great angst of the human soul. This great longing for something that satisfies and how easily we pursue things under the sun in an attempt to find it. So his conclusion was, you know what, to tie your hope for contentment to things under the sun is to serve a master that is never truly satisfied and never truly satisfying. So the questions we'll maybe be asking over the next few weeks is to think about who are you serving? What are you chasing after? What consumes you? So in a conversation about worship, I think these are the kind of things that speak to about the position of our heart towards God, the position of our heart toward things under the sun. So whether we pursue things under the sun, whether we worship things under the sun, or whether we choose to pursue God, whether we pursue to worship God, I think those conversations often have a way of being very much frank examinations of our lives.
The Bible does say, seek first the kingdom of God. The last half of that verse says, all these other things will be added unto you. I think there's an incredible promise in that verse. So hopefully over the next few weeks, we'll examine the theme of worship. Hopefully we'll be able to evaluate our own lives, our own credibility in terms of our worship based on the things that the Bible says true worshipers look like this. It's interesting in that um, chapter in Amos, chapter 5, where, where God says, I'm not interested in your festivals, or your solemn assemblies. I'm not interested in your loud hymns of praise. He does say in that chapter, and I think this is kind of where our conversation will spend a lot of time. In Amos 5, if I can find it here, verse 24, after all these things, I hate this, I, I won't look at that, I'm not interested in that, he says, but let justice run down like water. So people who worship me, what I want to see is justice raining down like water. And righteousness like a mighty stream. We're going to kind of look at that a bit more in the next few weeks. You know, there's a great song. Don't sing it very often anymore. Taken directly from Psalms. It's the song, As the Deer Pants for Water. Most of you probably know it. It says, As the deer longs for water... And the psalmist says, so my soul longs for you, O God. And if you think about that analogy this morning, and it's kind of what I maybe want to leave with us this morning. The deer has nothing to bring to the water other than his own thirst. And yet the deer knows that the water will refresh him, satisfy him, renew him. So even as we go through this conversation over the next weeks, we need to come to God in our weakness. We need to come to God in our sinfulness, we need to come to God because we need to. That our hearts know that there is only rest when you come before God. We bring a humble, we bring a contrite heart. And we cling to the righteousness of Jesus. We bring our childlike faith. And we say, God, you are worthy of our praise. 
There's a song I also found. Uh, I've played songs by this young lady quite often. And I think it kind of is in line with what I've been talking about and in a way what we will talk about over the next few weeks. It's a song by Lauren Daigle, and it's simply called First. And so, Bonnie, I think I will use that. So just listen, the, the words are on the screen.
that's the question we'll be talking about in the next uh, few weeks. And, uh, you know, I think uh, our, our first response would be like, well, yeah, God, it's you. And then sometimes when you pause and you look at your life and you look at things around you and you think, oh, man, at times my heart is prone to wander. So I pray that God would use even this Sunday for you to begin to think about that question in your own heart, your own life, your own family, your own mind, about that there is contentment to found when you truly worship our God. Lord, I'm going to ask you to come <laughs> Do you have a closing song to warn? I'm going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to give you thanks for your church. Father, there are so many uh, thoughts that uh, even come to my own mind as I think about where it is that my heart and my affection, my desires those things that consume me, Father, are you central to those? So, Father, I pray that over the next few weeks you would draw us to you. Uh, Father, I pray that you would um, expose us, uh, make it clear in our lives those things that we need to let go of, and help us to embrace you as God creator of the world, sustainer. Help our lives to reflect the fact that Jesus is Lord and how that looks and how we live. So I pray, God, that your word, your truth would speak to us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.